please exhale. And now let's begin. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. If you're interested in exploring holistic wellness topics through a perspective that blends spirituality with science, I think you've found the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Let's figure out this life thing together. Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to another episode of The Science of Light. I'm going to be a little honest. I'm feeling kind of scattered today, and that's why I picked the episode topic that I did. So I've mentioned this before, but I have this like revolving list of episode topics that I'm going to cover. And if you do want to contribute to that, if there's something that you want me to cover, by the way, there are a bunch of ways to connect with me, um, social media or email or my website um, that are always listed in the show notes. And I always kind of say them at the end of every episode, if you want to just listen for them. Um, but if you have any things that you want me to cover or want more clarity around anything that I ever talk about or want more resources, please reach out to me. I love when I hear from listeners, especially the ones that I haven't heard from before. So like, even if you're shy, introverted like me, I would love to hear from you. Please just know that. Um, but anyway, so this episode topic has been on just my like list of just kind of bullet points for a while, shiny object syndrome and dharana, which is a yogic concept. It's actually one of the eight limbs of yoga about, it kind of means concentration or really it translates to one pointed focus. And it's kind of the antidote to having shiny object syndrome or kind of scattered energy or feeling spread too thin. Um, And to be honest with you, like a lot of the times what I'm talking about on the podcast is almost like I'm sitting here and giving advice to myself because I need this too. Um, And I know this, but sometimes I guess maybe it helps me to think through it out loud. And I hope in doing so that it resonates with other folks. So again, if it does resonate with you, I'd love to hear that. Please get in touch with me through socials or email or however, you know. Also related to that, I'd like to add that I've gotten some valuable feedback from a couple different people that they've been digging that my episodes are shorter now because they seem more focused and have more clarity. So that super relates to the topic of this episode because what I did was I stopped trying to overthink and overplan them and having these super long, I mean like before I was using Google Docs and I would have like two pages of notes on the episode before I would start recording and then I would try to follow that and then I think it was coming across kind of like confused and so then instead what I started doing was I would have four or five bullet points and then I would just kind of rely on my own intuition and knowledge base from my brain rather than from the notes to formulate an episode based on just four or five bullet points and then just say whatever happens because I think it comes from that wanting to have excessive notes uh, comes a little bit from like anxiety, like wanting to say the right things and wanting to have more control over the outcome of how the episode comes out. So then when I kind of let go of that a little bit and was like, okay, here's just a few things I'm going to focus on um, and just let it evolve naturally from there, it turned out better. And I've heard that from a few different people. And so that's another, like, to hit on the point where I love getting your feedback. It's super helpful for me, whether you want to do that through a review, if you use Apple Podcasts, or connecting with me through any of the channels that I always list at the end of the episode and in the show notes. 
that's super helpful for me. And apparently also for you all, because then the show gets better for you, which is what I'm here to do is to serve the listeners. So I'll get off that. Give me feedback soapbox and switch to this topic of this episode soapbox, which is the freedom that comes with commitment. So that relates to one pointed focus, which is the yoga philosophy concept I have for you, Dharana. It's actually the sixth limb of yoga. We'll get more into that in a second. But I remember one time in a yoga class I took very early on, a teacher said, so, you know, every once in a while, a teacher just says something that stays in your brain for like a really long time. This was one of those things um, that stability is the ultimate key to freedom. And they were saying it in terms of like um, standing poses, like warrior one, when you stand and, and your legs are really strong and you have good alignment, then you don't feel so wobbly in your upper body or you can wobble around in your upper body without feeling like you're going to fall over. And I actually teach that a lot in my classes too as a hiker that um, boots, like thick, you know, ankle boots, sturdy boots aren't what, what's going to save you from rolling your ankle on the trail or on rock or even getting out of your car or walking down the stairs or whatever. Um, it's that inner stability that you gain through your feet. Anyway, stability as the key to freedom is like uh, seems a little weird, seems a little counterproductive. Maybe they seem a little bit opposite. I don't know. But so what I'm talking about is the freedom that comes with commitment. So when you commit to, I don't just mean like relationships, but that could, this could apply to that, like committing to a relationship, but it could also be committing to a small goal to, that will help you be a stepping stone to your bigger goals or, um, committing to a task or committing to, uh, a few tasks for one day. It eliminates overwhelm and it eliminates feeling like you're spread too thin. It eliminate, eliminates analysis paralysis. I don't know if y'all ever get that where you're like, oh, I have so much shit to do. I think I'm just going to like take a nap instead because I'm overwhelmed. That happens to me sometimes, actually more often than I really care to admit, but here we are. So my first example of that that's like a super clear and easy example is that these episodes became more focused when I started committing to only like a few bullet points that I'm going to cover rather than having these extensive notes to try and plan out every single thing I'm going to say. And then I feel overwhelmed when I look at the notes and I'm recording and it's just like too much. And then so I sound scattered, right? So when I decided to commit to these four or five bullet points, things got more focused and turned out better is what I'm getting at. So let's define dharana because that's my yoga philosophy point for you today. So I've been mentioning it's the sixth limb of yoga. And so quick crash course, if you're not familiar with the limbs of yoga, there are eight limbs of yoga and they're basically guideposts or um, what, what I would say yoga consists of and also, this is another thing a teacher said to me once that kind of stuck with me for a long time, is that in Sanskrit or in this Vedic tradition, they use lists for a lot of things. And they would put what they thought to be the most important thing at the top of the list. And so the order of these eight limbs of yoga is important. I just want to get that out of the way first. Um, 
and this teacher said that in reference to the yoga sutras, which is another topic for another day, but his point was that um, it seemed like the first yoga sutra is the most important. Anyway, same thing with the eight limbs of yoga. So the idea is that it's a list in order of importance, but also it's almost like a recipe. It's like you have to do these ones first before you can achieve these ones. Uh, and before you can get to the last one, which is Samadhi, which is like enlightenment. Um, I'll explain it more in depth in a second because enlightenment doesn't do that word justice as often translating Sanskrit words to English doesn't. There's almost never in my experience, a direct, like one word to one word translation. It usually requires a little bit more than that to catch the true essence, which is why I love Sanskrit is such a beautiful language. So the eight limbs of yoga are one, yama, which is, how I always say, like, how you govern yourself in the world. Um, and then two, niyama, which is, I would say, how you govern yourself, how you treat yourself. And number three, asana, that's the physical practice of yoga. So how to be a good person to yourself and others come before the physical practice of yoga. And then number four is pranayama, which is breath practice. But again, that's an oversimplification. So prana is uh, life force energy. And I used to kind of like trip myself up on this, like, ooh, that's like woo-woo life force, whatever. But if you think about it, when you breathe in, you're bringing in oxygen, right? And then that oxygen then travels from your lungs on your blood cells, which also carry nutrients. And the more oxygenated those blood cells are, the better your cells are going to do. Um, And then that blood travels with that oxygen that you inhaled throughout your entire body. I mean, everywhere in your body, like there's no nook or cranny left untouched and nourishes every single cell in your body. So when I started to think of it that way, I was like, okay, boom, science, magic, yoga. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. And then number five after that. So after we have how to govern yourself in the world, how to govern yourself with yourself, like as a person, uh, physical practice of yoga, or basically exercise, you could look at that too. Um, But then also asana uh, in its ancient ancient tradition sometimes just, so it means comfortable seat. So it could also be a meditation seat, like being able to sit comfortably in meditation, feel comfortable in your body, I think is kind of the essence there. Um, And then number five, after breath practice or pranayama, bringing life force energy, nourishing your body with life force energy is pratyahara, which means sense withdrawal. Um, And so that's kind of a next logical step because you have to, um, after you kind of feel comfortable with others, yama. So the yamas are things like nonviolence, truthfulness, um, non-stealing, things like that. You know, it's, I mean, we see these things in like almost all traditions in the world, like the Ten Commandments. I don't know, just like be a good person to others, right? And it's interesting that that one's listed first because um, I don't think you necessarily need these things to do a good yoga pose or whatever, but you do need them to feel comfortable in your body, right? You're not going to feel really comfortable, at least some part of you deep down, if you've like hurt somebody else through violence or lying or stealing. Um, and these can be like really outright or, or more subtle. 
the more deep you go with the practice, um, some part of you is not going to feel good about that. And it's going to nag at you until you clear it up or whatever. And then number two, the niyamas, um, things like cleanliness. Um, so cleanliness, like within yourself, you know, keeping your house clean, keeping your space clean, keeping your body clean, a big concept in yoga and Ayurveda and then contentment, um, tapas, which is, uh, heat, but also that's another one that doesn't translate super well. There's a lot of different ideas on this concept, but basically like, um, we're talking about things like self-study, surrender, spiritual practice, having a dedicated practice. That's niyamas. That's how, um, yoga philosophy thinks that you should govern yourself, right? Um, within your own practices. And then if you're not doing those things, like if you're trying to sit in meditation and you're like, whoo, I stink or like, Oh, this perfume is giving me a headache or whatever. Um, then you're not going to feel all the way comfortable. So that's what I'm saying. Like these things don't necessarily, in my opinion, lead to enlightenment, which I've already alluded to. That's the last step, but I do think they can be hindrances of it, which is why you want to practice, um, kind of removing the blocks. Basically, that's another concept from the yoga sutras is we're not really trying to become something. We're trying to unbecome everything that keeps us from that thing that we're trying to get to that's already within us. Right. Um, so anyway, pratyahara is the step after all of those practices So after you've kind of taken care of, you know, how you govern yourself in the world and then how you govern, you know, keep your body clean, keep your energy clean, all that kind of stuff. And then you've done some physical exercise and some breath practices, then you might start to be able to turn your senses inward. Right. And so I think that also kind of fits along with the, um, general structure of a yoga class, right? Like I often start my classes with a centering, but I find that my students seem to be pretty restless if I don't get them moving quickly. Um, and that's, that's across the board. Um, but then, so, because a lot of times I teach power yoga, but eventually I do, um, or I mean, sometimes I do teach like gentle or other styles of classes and I just, you know, power yogis were like more on the go in general, um, Anyway, it just, I've noticed from watching a lot of people over time that it is difficult, it's more difficult to turn inwards before you've kind of released some bound up energy through physical exercise, asana, or um, release some tension in the body through the stretching type things. And we know, I've done several episodes about this, how breathing um, calms the nervous system. So you're not going to be able to turn inwards as well without practicing all those other four things first. And that's basically the idea of pratyahara is turning inwards, right? And then, um, or sense withdrawal, it's also like, so that's why these things are kind of related, the pratyahara and the dharana, because dharana is next, the concentration or one-pointed focus. Um, And basically that's the most important stepping stone, I think, to that concentration, to that commitment is pratyahara, the sense withdrawal, the not scattering your energy, which is actually also caught in the, in the yamas. These things are also related. That's why I can't really like talk about one 
without talking about the others, and I've never introduced the eight limbs of yoga on my podcast before, so I think this is a good time to do so. Um, so you have to kind of remove yourself from distractions um, and turn your awareness inward before you're going to be able to concentrate. And I actually, I hear this from people all the time from my students that they're like, oh, I'm just so bad at meditating because I can't concentrate or because I think too much or whatever. Um, And the same thing, like, oh, I'm so bad at yoga. And what they mean is I'm bad at the physical practice of yoga because that's like very ego driven. Like maybe they can't do handstands or um, it's like hard on their body physically to do asana. And I always try to stress to people like, okay, asana, the physical practice is only one of the eight limbs and it's not even the first one. First of all, side note. Um, so that's not what we're talking about when we say good at yoga. All of these eight things are what it takes to be good at yoga, quote unquote. Um, but then meditation is, it is concentration. So if you struggle with concentration, that's something that's easy to cultivate. But it's not, I think, okay, so we'll get into that in a second. But in my opinion, and I tell this to my students a lot, that meditation isn't the absence of thinking. Your brain will think until you die. That's what your brain does. It even thinks when you sleep. That's what dreams are, um, right? So your brain just thinks it's going to think until you die. It's doing its job. It's doing a very good job. We don't want to be mad at it for doing its job. But what we can do is practice directing that awareness to one-pointed focus to instead of I'm going to get my energy all scattered by chasing down the to-do list or things that I ultimately have no control over when I'm trying to sit in meditation. I mean, you do probably have control over some of those things, but when you're sitting in meditation, it's like not the time. And if you're trying to sit in meditation, you're obviously not on your email list or at the grocery store or whatever it is that's distracting you. So that's what I always try to stress to my students is that it's not about not thinking. It's about directing your focus. That is meditation. And so that's kind of my point with Dharana today is that um, it's not about stopping thinking. It's about focusing. It's about one-pointed focus or concentration. And I'll have some tips for you coming up, but I want to go ahead and explain um, the other two, last two limbs of yoga that are what this leads to um, first. So number seven, and again, these all build, right? Um, is dhyana. So that's D-H-Y-A-N-A. Um, and that is actually meditation. That's like getting into a meditative state. And so that, that's a tricky one because it's like, at what point do you reach meditation from that one pointed focus? And that's highly debatable. Um, not really the point of today's episode. And if you're interested in exploring that more, please reach out to me again and maybe we will. So I think the best oversimplification that I can come up with for the purposes of this episode is that meditation, that meditative state is when you become completely wrapped up in whatever your object of meditation was rather than, so dharana, the one pointed focus is the, is the act of you can think of it like zooming in a camera lens. And, you know, when you're kind of uh, like you, this is, you know, 
most of us use cell phones to take pictures, but I'm sure at some point you've used like a telescope or binoculars or something or one of those fancy cameras where you like have to twist it to zoom in and then it's like, okay, it's still blurry. That was too far. I got to twist it back a little bit. And, and you're doing it this iterative process of trying to zoom in a little more, zoom out until you get it perfectly in focus. And then once it's in focus, that's dhyana, that's meditation. That's, um, you're kind of like in a flow state, some might call it. Um, but dharana is, it's an iterative process still. It's like, um, and this is what I tell my students, especially because I teach like hour long classes most of the time, um, like the most frequent classes. And this is where I always hear this concern from people like, um, oh, I just have trouble. Like I can't meditate because I can't still my mind. And it's like, well, that is what you're doing, at least in the few minutes we have Shavasana in a yoga class is you're, you're trying to still the mind. You're noticing what is preventing you from stilling the mind. You're taking the time to slow down enough that instead of just getting hijacked by those things that take you out of focus, you're noticing what those things are. You're becoming a witness to those things. That's the act of dharana. That's like, okay, I noticed that when I sit in meditation, I am basically in the grocery store in my head or whatever. Like, um, Or let's say you're in an evening class, which is one of the classes I teach most frequently is an evening class. And it's like, I know I sometimes can be sitting there watching my students in Shavasana and I'm like, wow, I was thinking about what I had to do after class. Like, I'm going to go pick up my kid after this and then I'm going to go home. We got to figure out dinner. Then it's going to be bedtime, rush, 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 right? Um, so whatever things you have to do, we all have things to do after our meditation practice, no matter what time of day it is. And a lot of times, probably, unfortunately, you might have to rush to do those things. Um, I do encourage you, I have been trying to do this for a long time, to try and build your life in a way that you don't have to rush. Um, that requires a high level of awareness and iterations to give yourself an appropriate amount of time between things, set boundaries, say no. Um, anyway, all these tools help. Aforementioned eight limbs of yoga, or so far six limbs of yoga before now. Um, so then once you do reach that state of, okay, now the camera is focused. Now I'm not getting, um, pulled off to the grocery store, the to-do list, or, you know, those are just, those are the places I go most often. So those are my examples. Um, you know, whatever it is for you, that's, that's the idea of the one-pointed focus and the meditation is you're trying to cultivate some awareness around what those things are for you. And the more you do that and the more you practice it, you might start to get glimpses of being little, little bit by little bit, it'll get longer that you're able to stay in the flow of that, whatever your object of meditation is. And I'll, I'll clear that up in a minute. That's, you know, my example is meditations that use an object, um, having an object of meditation. So then once you do that, you might reach the eighth limb of yoga, which is samadhi. And so that's sometimes translated as enlightenment, but I think bliss is a really good term for that. And I think, honestly, the more I've thought about this and kind of practiced it through the years, in my experience, have you ever had like a really good yoga class, like a perfect yoga class, and you go into shavasana and you just experience bliss for like 
Maybe it's only 30 seconds. Maybe it's 10 seconds. Who knows? But you have this moment where you're like, wow, that was good. And you're just there and you're in the moment and you're not getting pulled off to the grocery store or whatever. That that feeling you have when you know you had a good Shavasana. And I promise you, even for me, after more than a decade of practicing yoga um, and half that of teaching it, it's not every time. Not every Shavasana do I reach what I think is samadhi, but that's the goal. But I do think, in my opinion, and forgive me if it seems like I'm cheapening this because I'm not, I just think, th- or I'm trying not, I'm not trying, that's not my goal. Um, I, but I do think that there's like magic in everyday life. And I don't think these things are reserved for like spiritual aesthetics, aesthetics, a- aesthetics, the people like monks, um, you know, people that remove themselves from society. I feel like in my life, I have experienced bliss at the end of a yoga class. I have experienced that one-pointed focus, that being in the flow state, that like undisturbed connection with the divine, even briefly. And it's not always even at the end of a yoga class. Sometimes it's in nature, whatever. But that's what I think samadhi is. And that's my opinion. That's my take. If you don't like it, you can argue with me on the internet or something. I don't know. Or just not, you know, just say, okay, maybe that's not for you. But um, that's, that's my take on samadhi, on what we're going for, right? And, and all of this, like I mentioned previously, is to remove the blocks of yoga. That's another um, thing from the Yoga Sutras, another concept from the Yoga Sutras, is that the, the practice of yoga is to, is to quiet the mind, um, chitta vritti, the to quiet the fluctuations of the mind, which goes back to the pratyahara to dharana steps. Um, and you use the previous four, the yamas, niyamas, asana, and pranayama to, to get there, to get to a state where you can start to cultivate sense withdrawal and one-pointed focus. And then to also remove the blocks of yoga, sometimes called the kleshas. And that's another thing, if you're interested, we can cover that. Um, things like ignorance or wrong knowing or um, grasping. There's all these things in yoga philosophy. And the idea is not to become some like next level being. It's to remove all this shit that the world gives us. It gives all of us in similar and different ways. And then so that you can quiet down enough so that you can find your own inner light of awareness, your own bliss, your own connection with the divine within which in my opinion is that samadhi. And I think it's accessible to all of us. I do. I think that's the goal. Um, And that's just the way I look at it. So this was a nice introduction to the eight limbs of yoga. Like I said, it's hard to talk about one of these things without talking about the others because they're so interrelated. But um, why did I choose to talk about dharana specifically? Why did I not go first with one of the other ones? Well, because first of all, I think that's boring to just go in order. I think that's like, it wasn't authentic for me. It would feel a little bit more like listing than whatever. And and then also I had something to say about it. I was like, okay, so I got married like two weeks ago, or actually I got married like in January, but um, I we had our wedding. We had like a big fun wedding, which was cool. Um two weeks ago. And so I've been the week after that, things were busy and I've had all these like 
developments in my life that feel like they're pulling me off track. I can't really announce them publicly yet, but one day soon I will. They're good things um, that have been pulling me off track. And then I also have been working with these systems within my business, which includes this podcast. It also includes like the astrology readings I do. I've started, um, uh, I, I put out a new moon report last week, which um, doing that took away from the time that I had to record the podcast. So I just didn't. So like I've been scattered for good things and, you know, for better, or for worse, I've been scattered. And this has been, this topic has been on my mind. And one of the things I've been trying to do to combat that is like, okay, I'm just going to write out, um, I have this list of topics that I want to cover and I've been trying all these different things to get more focused, right? Um, and one of them is making the episodes shorter and having less notes so I don't get all off track. And another one of the things is using a calendar and just like writing like writing out the next month, which so that's only one a week. It's only like four things worth of topics. I'm like, okay. And then I try to make them build, but then I still catch myself. I'm like, okay, that's a tool to try and commit to these things. So I, then I just do it. Um, and it kind of works, but then, but then I still find myself overthinking or something comes to my mind and I feel like I would rather talk about that instead, because this is not, this is actually the topic I had for like two weeks from now. I had a couple that I wanted to cover first. And then also while I was like off for having our wedding, spending time with family, I like some other things were coming to mind and I was like, Oh, maybe I should do these while they're like fresh in my mind, whatever. So one of my points that I want to say is like the pitfall of this is that there's no need to get dogmatic. And what I mean by that dogmatic um, is like too caught up in like nothing is set in stone. It's good to have systems in place like a calendar, um, have notes for the episode, whatever. You know, these are just my examples right here. But it's good to have systems in place for whatever it is you're trying to do. So I guess I should clarify that I introduced all this in terms of like meditation and reaching like a bliss or enlightened state, but I'm also, or maybe even like, I wouldn't say more importantly, but like equally importantly talking about this in terms of like just your life, in terms of like becoming a better person and living the life you want to live, manifesting your dreams, which is often like the crux of what I'm talking about is like, how do we ultimately become the person that we really want to become? Um, or achieve the life that we really want to live. And that often be- comes through becoming the person that would live that kind of life. Anyway, I see a couple episodes about that. Um, a couple episodes ago, I meant. So this applies to not only like your meditation practice, but I do think your meditation practice, that's why I introduced it that way. That's like what's going to get you there, having your yoga and meditation practice and especially all of the eight limbs. But um, you can apply it outside of your yoga practice. And one of the pitfalls is getting too rigid. And I've talked about this before, like rigidity, just, um, it doesn't serve anything. Like if you need to let go of something because it's not serving you, you absolutely should. And I think that's where it's like, I'm trying to tell you it's good to commit to things. It's good to have a schedule. It's good to um, have commitment to your goals, to your relationships in life, not just your intimate partner relationships, but all all relationships, all kinds of relationships. 
you know, friends, family, loved ones, colleagues, coworkers. It's good to be committed to those things, but it's also good to be constantly going through that um, iterative refining process. Like I was talking about with cultivating Dharana, like when you're, when you're focusing the lens, it's like, okay, I overcorrected. So now I need to go back a little bit, right? Same exact thing. That's why I was using the example about the calendar and this um, topic was on the schedule for a couple weeks from now, but I'm doing it now because I wanted to do it now because it felt personally relevant and that's fine, right? That's my point. Um, So how are you going to cultivate this in your own life? First of all, you're going to avoid the pitfall of becoming dogmatic, of becoming too rigid, of becoming too set in like, I, this is what I decided. So this is, damn it. That's what I'm going to do. Like, no, that's like too far the other direction. Okay. Yoga is always about the middle path. And so then what are some other tips to cultivate this dharana, cultivate this one-pointed focus, the commitment, the freedom that you're going to get from committing to whatever it is you're committing to, relationships, uh, habits, whatever. Um, You're going to have to cut down on distractions. And that goes to the pratyahara piece, the the sense withdrawal. So maybe you're like, okay, what is my, maybe you set three priorities for a day. Maybe you have this mile long to-do list. Like, don't we all always, because as soon as you spend one day knocking like five things off the to-do list, then you add like several more. As soon as you do, that's totally normal. Um, You just set priorities for each day. And like, that could look like a lot of things. Maybe you set it for the week ahead. Maybe you're like, these are the seven priorities for the week or even three priorities for the week. I think in my opinion, the less, the better to a certain point. Um, and then maybe after that, you set priorities for each day and know that these things are always in flux. So whenever, once you've set your priorities, you have to cut down on distract. That will help you cut down on distractions because you're like, okay, I don't feel so overwhelmed by all these choices of things to work on or whatever, um, teachers to work with, um, partners to have, I don't know, whatever, um, things to do, just anything. When you set priorities, you eliminate distractions already, but then it's like, okay, I've set these priorities and now how am I going to achieve them? I'm going to sit down and do that one thing and set like one thing at a time. And I know most of us, myself included, are like, royalty at multitasking and our society like conditions us to be that way. But I know, I don't know about you, but I'm a little more productive when I set the smartphone away, get off the social media, whatever. Um, I cut down on my distractions. I like turned off notifications for most things, especially social media, because I'm going to look at it anyway. Why would I have notifications on trying to make me look at it more? Like I already look at social media at least once or usually more than once a day. Um, so why would I have something trying to make me look at that more? And so you could you could cut down on notifications. You could put your phone on silent or do not disturb while you're trying to work on something. You could um, clean off your desk. I don't know. There's like a lot of things that this could look like. So set your priorities and then cut down on distractions. Um Maybe try not to multitask, but I know, I know, I get it. Like some things lend themselves well to multitasking. Sometimes working on one thing 
impacts another. And so you're kind of working on them together. Uh, Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm working on this one thing. And then I found out something else needs to be done first. So then you get distracted. And so that's what I'm saying is like, also don't fall into rigidity. Like go down the path, like do with the obstacles what you will, but always remember that you're going to be a little bit more productive when you don't feel overwhelmed. And then keep refining to avoid becoming too rigid. Um, And then finally, so those things apply to, you know, kind of like you're off the mat stuff. But then if you want to develop this skill, like I was saying earlier, concentration is like, it's like a muscle. It's like a skill that can be developed. I don't think it's something that some people just inherently can do and some people can't. Granted, it might be harder for some than others. Like, I'll give you that. But um, how you can develop that skill is through guided meditations or visualizations or using specifically mindfulness as a gateway to meditation. So that can look like a lot of things, I recognize. Um, And you could go down a rabbit hole on the internet about what, like, doing uh, guided meditations and guided visualizations. Um, But the most common one that I give my students because I think it's super accessible is using A, your breath, or B, your sensations, or a combination of the two because your breath does elicit sensation um, in your body to anchor your awareness to the present moment. And that's what I always tell my students is that meditation isn't about stopping thinking because your brain's going to think until you die, like I said earlier. Um, it's about directing that awareness to things that are more productive because granted your to-do list might be really productive stuff. Um, but if you're like making your grocery list while you're in meditation, how many of you are going to actually remember that? Like you're just going to have to do it again, right? Is what I'm saying. So it's like, it's not productive while you're trying to sit in meditation, those things, while they can be productive elsewhere and in their place and time, they are not productive while you're trying to meditate. So while you're trying to meditate, your goal, what is productive during that time, because it will help you develop this skill of focus elsewhere, is to practice anchoring your awareness on something. And so you can anchor your awareness on, you can do like a white light meditation. That's like a visualization where you visualize white light, you know, um, expanding from your heart space or coming down from the crown of your head or whatever. There's like a million different examples of these kind of things. And so if it's hard for you, I totally recommend trying a guided meditation. Uh, there's plethora of, of them on the internet. Um, and maybe one day I'll develop some myself. But right now, um, I think some really simple ones that if you do, if guided meditations aren't really your thing, if they feel cheesy or whatever the case may be, Um, Or if you get like me sometimes and you're like, okay, I'm going to open YouTube or Insight Timer or whatever I use to find a guided meditation and then you end up like can't decide, again, shiny object syndrome, you can practice this super simply on your own by just maybe you count the breath. One of my favorites is a box breathing meditation. So um, it's equal parts breathing. It's like uh, you inhale. So remember that there are actually four parts to the breath. There's the inhale, there's the pause between the inhale and exhale, then there's the exhale, then there's the pause before you begin to inhale again. And so I always encourage my students not to um, 
make their breath so deep that you feel like you're suffocating. So don't, with that pause, you're not holding your breath. It should, you, the more you practice expanding your breath, um, the pause should come naturally. And eventually um, you can make it an equal, an equal length to your inhale and your exhale. So if that's not, if you're not there yet, you can just count. It's like, and count at whatever speed you want. Um, and just try to make either your inhales match your exhales, or you can find a plethora of different ideas on the internet of different counts to try that are supposed to have different effects. But we do know simply that extending your exhales longer than your inhales can put you in a more restful state. It can help slow your mind down. So maybe you count at whatever pace you count, and let's say you count to four for your inhale, then maybe you try to exhale to five or six and just count rhythmically, count at the same pace. It does not matter how fast or slow you count. And then if you're able to slow that down even more and find the pauses, then maybe you can try the box breathing meditation and it, you envision inhaling up one side of the box, pausing across the top, exhaling down the other side, pausing across the bottom. And in your mind, you just trace around this box with your breath. And, or you could even try just like counting the breath, like inhale 10, exhale 10, inhale 9, exhale 9. And every time you get distracted, you start over. Um, and you just, you don't beat yourself up for getting distracted. Cause again, that's, that's what the mind does. And that's what we're practicing here is, um, getting better at not doing that. It's not like if you just can't do it at first, you shouldn't even try, right? Is kind of my point of this whole thing um, is to develop the skill because a lot of us don't, most of us don't inherently have it, right? It's, and our culture um, takes it away from us for sure, tries to repeatedly. So you could try any of those things um, or find something else that you like, find an object of meditation or find mindfulness and just Anything that you think about this in the present moment, whether that be sensations, things you see, hear, feel, smell, whatever, um, or your breath counts. And as soon as you get distracted, now you have to like start over. But that's why I'm like, that one's maybe not the best one to start with. Maybe you start with one of the other ones, like the counting the breath or the um, counting backwards from 10, whatever the case is, you can try any of those things. And that's how you flex your dharana muscles. You'll be a concentrating pro in no time, I'm sure. So after all that rambling, here we are. I hope it helped. I hope you find some tools that were helpful for you. I hope you're able to combat shiny object syndrome in your own life and all the ways it shows up. And if you'd like to give me some feedback on that or get some tips, please reach out to me through social media or my website. Um, all Everywhere you can find me, Yogi Scopes, Y-O-G-I. S-C-O-P-E-S. That's on Facebook, Instagram, um, yogiscopes.com. You can message me at any of those places. Email me, rosemary at yogiscopes.com. And don't forget to sign up for my email list to catch the full moon and new moon reports coming out. Or check out my blog. I just posted a new moon report, but a full moon report will go out next week. So remember to keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. I'm so grateful that you're here. Talk to you soon.